Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. I uh, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to get this episode out before the summit. I've been so incredibly busy. Um, as you can well imagine, in the final days, uh, I think we are, it's Sunday, events next Saturday, so there there are five full days left before the summit, and um, yeah, I'm just putting together all the little things that I left until the end, as I think is pretty normal for us humans. So yeah, been really busy, but I really wanted to get this episode out, this, uh, this discussion with Eric from Redshift Sports. And so I'm making a little bit of time here this Sunday night uh, to get it, uh, to get the intro recorded and uh, to put it together and post it. So yeah, the Canadian Shield Bikepacking Summit is five full days away, basically five and a half days until kickoff. Um, You know, things are coming together really well, I feel. Um, It's been great to see local involvement. Uh, some of the local establishments are sponsoring with uh, some little prize packs and stuff. Lessa Gal has donated a couple, a gift certificate that would cover a couple waffle ice cream cones. Chelsea Pub is giving a gift certificate and potentially a bottle of rum, which would be really cool. Oh, no, gin, sorry. And uh, Chelsea and Co., the newest brewery in town, will be uh, giving out some beer as well. And of course, that also. I didn't mention Nomads Park. I think I've talked about them before. They will be leading our group rides and getting involved with the weekend, and it's really, really cool to have them there. So, awesome. Tickets are still for sale, so if you haven't got a ticket yet, you still have five days. Uh, You will not be able to order shirts and jerseys and get them on time, but you can definitely still order them, and I'll uh, make sure they get shipped to your address. Or if you live locally, of course, I'll just deliver them to you. Now, pretty much the final things to do are to go and settle the bill for the venue and uh, confirm sound and recording stuff and just make sure I have everything ready to go and good to go and that I've tested it all. So that's that's my week. That is basically all I'm going to do this week is make sure sound and everything is done. And of course, put together my presentation, finish preparing for that. So I've got it kind of all in my head. I just have to do it. And uh, yeah, if you like the podcast, you enjoy the show, you enjoy what we're doing here, I'm doing, I should say, you can go to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures and uh, support me. I would really appreciate it. And you can also do that through PayPal, which I believe there's a link on the website. Uh, I forget what it is offhand. I should really learn it. Anyways, on to today's episode. 
In this episode of the Bikepack Adventures podcast, I connect with Eric DeBrun, one of the founders of Redshift Sports. I'm very excited to have Eric on the show for several reasons. I've been using their products since 2020 when I bikepacked across Western Canada and have been very fortunate to be sponsored by them since 2021. I really value the innovations they've been doing in the world of bikes, and I'm always happy to see what they come out with next. A little bit about the company. Redshift Sports was founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who also happen to be avid cyclists. From the beginning, they focused on taking a different approach to product development, drawing on their own experiences and needs to create components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience. Eric, welcome to the Bikepack Adventures podcast. Oh, thanks so much for uh, for having me. So let me start by saying it's uh, it's really great to have you on the show. It's been a long, long time coming. I know we've been kind of going back and forth with this for a couple of years, and our just our timelines have always uh, seemed to mishmash or, um, you know, pass off pass over each other. But anyways, it's really great to have you here, and um, definitely want to thank Redshift Sports for your guys' support these past uh, two years. So. Much appreciate. Well, we, we, I really appreciate being here. Yeah, it has been it has been a, a funny thing we've been talking about for a while. So I'm really glad that we we got a chance to do it, and we really love supporting. So you know, I mean, I, honestly, we feel you know kind of honored to be part of things. So you know, thank you very much. Awesome. And uh, so yeah, to get rolling, um, I love to find out about the guests, and I know that you are just one of four, but maybe you can tell us about yourself and where you're from and. You know, seeing your face and hearing your voice today, I'm like, oh, that's a different accent than I expected. So I'm sure this will be interesting. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm uh, I'm from Connecticut, actually, originally. Um, so I, I think that in the U.S., that's one of the places where there's not really an accent. Uh-huh. Although I don't know that everyone would agree with that, but I think it's pretty neutral, um, certainly as far as the Northeast goes. And um, yeah, you know, I, um, I'm a, a person that grew up doing a lot of athletic stuff. I was actually a really serious swimmer for a while. Um, and didn't really get into riding until uh, after college. So uh, my wife's a big runner, um, so I was doing a bit of running. I did track in college, and then, um, you know, uh, my my two partners and I, we started to get into triathlon, actually, and that is kind of what led us into cycling. And so, yeah, so I'm kind of a new to cycling, new to, you know, new to gravel. I mean, obviously, as everyone is, you know, I grew up riding bikes, but not in any sort of formal or serious way. But I think that it's one of those things when you find something that matches with your personality or matches with the kind of, you know, I don't know, athletic personality you have, you know, I think for me that that was a little sort of like a very obvious moment where I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I actually think I like riding bikes much more than running. And so it was kind of an, an interesting thing. And I, not that I don't do that other stuff anymore, but I think if I had to choose one thing, I would always just jump on the bike now. Yeah. Are you still doing triathlon then? You know, I haven't done one for a while. I, I kind of have some goals still, but um, yeah, I haven't done one for a while. And frankly, I haven't been swimming at all. So I think that uh, is definitely an area where I'd have yeah. to kind of get back in. That was always, I was always first out of the water. So, you know, I feel like I don't know if I could do one if I wasn't uh, getting out of the, getting out of the water. First. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't done a try since uh, 2018 now. So I can't believe it's been that long. Like it just blows my mind. I was in Malaysia still. And uh yeah, I was a good swimmer. I mean, I mean, not to generalize a whole race, but Malaysian swimmers weren't always the best. Um, amazing runners, though. Holy God. And uh, so I'd come out of the water pretty quick. There's always a few faster ones, that's for sure. And then uh, the bike was just, yeah, just love being on the bike, right? Uh, the it's run- funny because I think bike is always the weakest area for me. So maybe uh, that's kind of like a 
feel like I need to kind of improve. I, you know, a lot of these tri courses, there's no climbing. Yeah. And I'm definitely, I'm definitely more of a mountains person. And mm. so a flat, fast thing is probably the most challenging kind of riding for me, actually. Yeah. Well, Malaysia was pretty good for hills because um, they, they got a lot of mountains there. And even the tri courses, I mean, it wouldn't be crazy amounts, but definitely when you're pushing up big watts and then you see this hill coming, you're like, or even highway overpasses, some of them are pretty big. You're like, oh God, like, um, yeah, for me, it was the swim and the run. I was doing great and I'd feel so good. And then all of a sudden, every single person is just blowing by me like I'm stopped running. And I'm like, oh, man, this sucks. <laughs> Anyways, um, have you ever done any bike touring? You know, I actually have not done. Shame on you. I have not done that before. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because you have all these plans, right? And you see stuff and you think, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, I, you know, I watch all the events, right? Just like everyone else. But I'm. I'm not uh, I'm not someone who has that firsthand experience. I'm much more of a gravel race kind of guy. So oh. that was what I've been doing for the past few years is, you know, more of this, you know, 80 mile, 100 mile, 60 mile stuff. That, that's really where I found myself, um, you know, kind of the, the one day, um, you know, type, type of stuff. But it's kind of interesting because I am so immersed in the world, but yet I'm, I can't say that I'm, you know, someone that has the actual firsthand expertise. Well, there you go. There's the next thing. You got to get some panniers, grab the kids, and uh, get out for a little tour around that uh, yeah, West Coast. Yeah, number, number, number of the guys in the company do it, but it's not something that I've had a good opportunity for yet. Okay. And yet, I know so many people around the world, right, where it just seems like I could jump on and, and do these things. But, you know, you, you got kids, you've got other yeah. responsibilities. Those things become harder and harder to attain. But I hear that it gets easier as they get older. So maybe I can set my sights. Yeah. How old are your kids? Um, I have a daughter who's four years old, so okay. I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a very uh, a very fun time, but a very uh, busy time where you know she wants to just do stuff with her parents all the time, mm -hmm. which is great. But. Yeah, I have a 16 month old, so it's I can still just throw her in the chariot and go riding, you know, so it's easy. Nice. Yeah, my days of that are done. There's definitely a, a, a participation aspect now. Yeah, do you have one of those like trail along bikes and stuff, or? You know, we've got, we got all kinds of things and I got, I've got the whole sequence set up. So yeah, so we're, we're, we're learning pedal bikes now. Nice. Uh, we ride together. Um, yeah, we do all, 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 all that stuff. And yeah, you just got to find the safe places to do it. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, for, for Redshift, my experience, I guess is, um, my, my own personal experience with your guys company in 2020, I bought a gravel bike from, uh, Opus here in Canada and they were building them stock, the their top of the line one came stock with a shock stop suspension stem and so when i was looking at this online i'm like what is this redshift thing that's really cool and i started googling you guys and and then i saw that you made this dual position seat post and i know i like aero bars and i was planning a big trip and stuff and i was like i need that because there's nothing worse than like sitting on this the the pointy end of a seat for hours on end and um yeah so i bought i bought that I think it came in the mail before my bike actually arrived at my house. And, um, and then I did, you know, 5,500 kilometers riding around Western Canada and it was awesome. And then I think I reached out to you guys and just praised you for your, your amazing product and told you about the podcast. And you said, Hey, like we'd love to sponsor and support you guys. You. So that was uh, yeah quite, quite amazing. And, you know, I was really chuffed at the time. I was like, I can't believe it. Like they're just gonna, that's amazing. You know, like I was telling my wife, probably jumping up and down a bit because I was new to the whole thing, you know, and it's like, you know, you, you don't get into it necessarily to get all kinds of free stuff and try out things, but it's really nice when you have that chance. So I've been uh, really thankful, but for you guys, what's the story?
story. How did Redshift come along? Like, yeah, I mean, and and uh, and it, I think I think the sort of our coming together is is something that we definitely do embrace as a small brand, and and we should talk more about that because I yeah. think that there's a lot of small brands like us that that are doing that, which is which is pretty cool. People that are trying to go out there and, and do that. There is a there is a lot of synergy there, but you know, between brands and and people doing amazing adventures. But yeah, we we started. Um, in 2013, actually. So we've been around for a little while now. and Ten um, years, huh? <laughs> my, yeah, my two, two partners and I, and, and and when I say started, I mean, we were a true startup, right? So my two partners and I, we, we had an engineering design company, actually. And we were doing all kinds of work, you know, you know, different stuff, we, you know, medical things. And we worked in uh, nuclear power. We were doing work in humanitarian space, like all wow. over the place, designing different things and, and, you know, bringing technology to different places. And we, um, we kind of always had this idea that, hey, maybe we should try to develop a product ourselves. And we were doing triathlon at the time. And one of my partners had this idea, you know, how come clip-on aero bars are only things that you bolt on and off? And it was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, they don't even actually match the name clip-on, right? They don't actually clip on. And so right, right. We thought that was kind of funny. And so we went down this path of, Honestly, we hadn't even had this vision of starting a company. We just started prototyping something. And because it was what we were doing every day for our job anyway. So we started prototyping something and kind of, I, I shouldn't say stumbled because we did try a number of different things, but we, you know, relatively quickly came to this mechanism that we designed for the aero bars and we prototyped it and we thought, wow, this is actually really cool. And maybe this has uses beyond this product. And as we studied it though, we recognized that you know, you can't just make aero bars and throw them on anybody's road bike and have that or, or anybody's gravel bike and have that, you know, be a good sort of position for most people. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're doing stuff like TT, um, you know, and so that's where the dual position seat post came about was we were looking at fit. We, we understood what was going on there. And, you know, we recognized that you, you know, needed to have either a different setup with the aero bars or do something different with the the rider position. So we came up with this idea of, you know, this dual position thing. And there had been, I want to say Profile um, had a, a product, you know, years ago. I'm not sure if it's still around, but it was like a seat post you would swap in that would give you more of a TT position on the bike. And then that would be appropriate okay. for full, full set of aero bars. And so we thought, well, we can just do this in one thing. And that, you know, that was a more challenging design, you know, moving parts and that kind of stuff is, is a little bit more tricky, but we learned a lot when mm-hmm. we did that and, you know, just kind of kept at it, kept at it until we had something we liked. And then, you know, when it kind of came together, we thought, oh, wow, this is really cool. And we took it out to um, a, a fit expert actually in um, Southern California. And we went to a, like a velodrome and did a bunch of testing. Uh, you know, of like the aerodynamics and the fit and it was all super promising. And we learned so much about, uh, you know, the difference between pro athletes and amateur athletes. And, yeah. and I think that was pretty enlightening for us and maybe created a bit of an ethos for our company, even though we were, we were coming at this from an amateur perspective. I think we learned so much more about the amateur perspective that it allowed us to maybe with some of our other products really embrace that idea. Yeah. And so it would, you know, it was, it was a, a, kind of a fun time where we had this one product we were trying to sell it we thought we're going to make this brand out of it you know i mean the story is a bit different than that now but it was really cool to just put that out in the world and see what people thought and um you know it's it's awesome because i was never a person that had a time trial bike you know i lived in malaysia i mean i owned a lot of stuff there but i did have just the one bike 
and you know, I used clip-on aero bars, and I did a lot of triathlons. I mean, Malaysia, there was a lot of them. I think every, and it's not a huge country. So imagine a country that's probably half the size of California, and there is a triathlon probably somewhere every single weekend you could go to, you know? So I I was probably doing one triathlon a month, like maybe eight months of the year, because there's no winter, and duathlons and all kinds of different events. But every single time, it was like, you get off that bike, and you are numbdick, you know? Like... You're just, every, there's no blood, no circulation. And it was, you know, I couldn't afford a TT bike. I mean, I probably could have, but I, I had other commitments. And um, so it was just one of those things you had to deal with. But I'm like, man, like coming to Canada and I see about this redshift dual position C post. I'm like, damn it. Where was that in 2012 and 13, you know? <laughs> I think, I think the, the, the other, the other benefit that, that we also, I think we also went in focused on this idea of, of, you know, getting an arrow position on a road bike that was a good fit arrow position that actually mm-hmm. put your body in the right position. So you weren't doing what you talked about. You were getting an open hip angle, yeah. you know, you weren't suffering through, but I think the thing we did probably didn't realize right from the get go was that the utility of having a regular fit road position accessible on the bike was also really important for most athletes. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned the TT bike. It's like, yeah, where do you go train with TT bikes in most places? you know, that's pretty hard. And so I think we kind of recognize these other aspects, yeah. which I think has bled into now where having aero bars on a bike can be thought of very much as an alternative position, as opposed to having to be purely this, you know, time trial tuck where you're suffering through, you know, that it's actually viewed as a comfort position now in many cases. And I think that's a really nice realization that if you have a good bike fit, if you set things up well, you can have all of these alternate positions that are all comfortable and they're all efficient as well. Yeah. And it's interesting because as a bike packer now that like, I like to do some ultra endurance type stuff, the arrow bars aren't really for arrow so much as just a resting place, you know, like to get off the shoulders and like get, you know, just relax your arms a bit. And that's, that's what it accomplishes. So I'm always in this kind of conundrum where I'm going on a, a big trip and I'm like, Ooh, do I put on the shock stop seat post or do I put on the dual position? Because I like I like to be comfortable when I'm on the arrow bars and I'm on them a lot. So, yeah, you need to make a suspension dual position seat post. Get on it. You're not the first. You're not the first person to that. And I, and I think it is a tough conundrum, right? Because because I I have the same the same feelings, and I you know because I I am really really passionate about proper fit, mm-hmm. you know. And one one of the main reasons is some of this stuff that we did early on, where you know we did a comparison between essentially you know taking a regular amateur athlete and putting them on a road bike putting them in aero bars and then looking at the difference between trying to ride it in a road position trying to ride it in a in a triathlon position with a dual position seat post and the biggest difference was not necessarily that your hip angle was closed or that you were going to get some you know Mm long-term problems which is something that can't happen that wasn't actually the difference it was that the rider in the regular road position from a saddle standpoint started to move their body around a lot more because they were slightly uncomfortable. And just that movement was enough to destroy the arrow position to the point where it was, it was almost meaningless compared to just sitting up. And so I think that was an interesting lesson we took away, which was that, you know, being comfortable in whatever position you're trying to achieve is probably more important for most athletes than actually getting the most arrow or the most perfect fit that it's actually being comfortable for your body, mm-hmm. you know? So like you can have the perfect fit that just transfers power amazingly, right? 
or you can have a fit that's maybe not perfect for power, but it's really, really relaxed and comfortable and good for your joints. That second position is probably better for most ultra endurance, oh, even just long rides. And I think that was something we didn't really appreciate was the the idea that you know there's a three dimensionality to all of this stuff. And I think it's it's also true of the way we think about things, right? And so when you talk about bike packing, you talk about ultra endurance. I mean, even just these long gravel races or rides, you know, you have to be inside your own head. You're not there just chatting with other people the whole time and you have to be your own support structure. And if you add stuff to that, that causes <laughs> discomfort, either mental or physical discomfort, you know, that can really spiral. And so I, I think that we're really big proponents in what can we provide to people that makes their riding experience, you know, more comfortable and by being more comfortable, you know, gets you better performance, you know, and there's other performance aspects too, but I think they can sometimes be secondary to just attaining a position. That's something you're happy to ride in for a long time, or it's your third position that you switch to every so mm-hmm. often or whatever it is. And yeah. And I, I, I think we were kind of surprised at how important that truly was in the end. And I feel like it applies almost more to the long distance riding that people are doing today with Aeromars. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So you guys, uh, it started off, like you said, with the clip on arrow bars and the dual position seat post. And at what point did you guys say, hey, you know what? I'm going to leave this other engineering job and uh, let's let's try to do this. And, you know, I, I yeah. guess at some point you guys thought let's we're either all in or we just got to bow out, you know? Yeah. So we, we actually pretty quickly um, spiraled down the other company that we had running and um, and we had only a little bit of stuff we were doing on the outside after just a couple of years. Um, there were some projects we were involved in that were um, in the humanitarian space, which we were pretty passionate about. And so we stuck with the, some of that for a while and, and provided, you know, we, we wanted to see some of that through, but it was not some massive time commitment. So okay. we were pretty quickly um, building Redshift, the brand. I mean, what's interesting is we definitely were under the impression, like I think a lot of people are that, well, we're going to make these aero bars, the C-Post, you know, there's tons of triathletes out there. You know, I mean, bikepacking was a thing, but it wasn't on our radar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're thinking, oh, there's tons of triathletes. Everyone's got the same problem we do. This is going to be great. And I think it, it did take us a little while to realize that it's like, well, it's going to be hard to build a brand on something that's sort of this niche, you know, like yeah. niche oriented. Yeah. yeah. And so, but, but we had then, we had this kind of wake up that was like, you know what, we've got other ideas that, you know, can kind of fit in with the same ethos of, you know, can we improve performance? Can we make people more comfortable? Can we allow them to realize, you know, more adventure, more fun, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and can we come at it from a, a standpoint that's maybe a little bit opposite to the sort of bigger brands at the time where there was so much trickle down from pro riding and there had been for a long time that was not appropriate for amateur riders right. not appropriate and i don't mean amateur in a bad way not appropriate for anyone but a tour pro basically yeah. and so i think that that was kind of the thing where we saw that and didn't really see a lot of people coming at it from the other side and so we said why don't we design products that with you know that have the typical athlete in mind and solves those problems you know Mm -hmm. just because a a rider in a grand tour can ride a super stiff bike for hours and hours and hours a day for weeks on end doesn't mean that that's normal for someone else who rides on the weekends yeah who doesn't have the same back muscles and you know leg discipline or whatever body position discipline yeah and, and and even and even really really great amateur athletes don't have the time in the bike that that someone who's literally doing this for a living does. Mm-hmm. And so I think we kind of came at it from that angle. At the same time, you know, we discovered that there's a performance benefit to 
adding compliance, adding comfort on the bike for lots of things, right? You know, you know, Taylor Ledeen, you know, one of the guys that rides with us, you know, he won the Unbound XL using all of our stuff on there. And he credits part of that, you know, that success to, to actually being much fresher than the field. And so there's, there's clearly a, a performance benefit. There's an efficiency benefit, you know, continuous power output. But I think that you can't get past the idea that making the bike more comfortable makes it more fun. And so for most people, you don't want to go out and mm -hmm. come back from a ride and feel, like you said, feel like your butt is numb and your wrists are hurting. Then you think about, do you want to ride the next day? I mean, everybody's experienced that saddle pain and it's not fun. No one's embracing that and saying, this is great. So I think that that alone was something where we thought, hey, we can do some things to maybe make this more enjoyable. And at the same time, it's not like you're decreasing performance. So there's no downside to this. Yeah. And that was that was why we came out with the STEM. You know, that was an idea along the same vein. Um, and then stuff just kind of, you know, went from there. We had all these other ideas. CPOS came later. And then, um, you know, we, we focused on some <clears throat> additional things and opened ourselves up to, you know, different kinds of riding since then. Yeah. Yeah, you're so much more eloquent in your description of the the problems with the saddle than uh, than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked your word, but I wasn't going to use the same thing. You know, you so. uh, patented. Um, so, how was uh was it difficult to get funding in the initial stages of developing the company? I, I think you got was it a Kickstarter project to start? Yeah, yeah. So we went we went we went with the. Uh, the ultimate bootstrapping, right? And at we, that time, um, Kickstarter, it was like the perfect, you guys were at the uh, right was, time it was, for... It was big. Yeah, it was big. I mean, I, I think people probably have different experience maybe with it, it, the sort of reputation of, of crowdfunding in general now. But at the time, it was like the hot new thing, right? So we were right in there. There had been some cool successes. And yeah, I mean, it was, it did deliver, right? You know, we went out there and we said, hey, how else are we going to do a market test? you know, not to be so clinical about it, but we said, if we can get 200 people interested in buying something that doesn't exist, then we should start this brand. Right. And so yeah. that's what we did. And there was 256 people <laughs> that were interested in getting this thing sight unseen, you know, besides, you know, the prototypes that we wrote around, we shot the video ourselves. We had a great time doing it. You know, I mean, it, it was a, it was a fun activity and yeah, it took a lot of time and it was really interesting, but at the same time, I think it was, it was a really good opportunity to actually, you know, do a startup thing where we didn't actually go to someone and have some other voice that was involved. We could do the stuff that we wanted. And we crowdfunded three more products after that, yeah. you know? And, and I think that, you know, these days it's not the same, you know, it's not the same kind of thing. I don't know that we'll do it again. We might, um, it's, it's a bit of a different animal, but yeah, at the time that we did a few of these, you know, it was, a. Uh, was a really great thing and a really awesome way to get exposure to a lot of people. And we have people that supported our initial crowdfunding that we still talk to today. So, you know, there is a community aspect to it that's alive and well for us. That's amazing. Yeah, I think you guys happen to just, it was the right time and place for it to, to, to be able to function as well as it did because nowadays I think people are a lot more, you know, I think there's been so many negative experiences where things just fall through with companies that are releasing the next best product and, Unfortunately, that that really messes it up for you know the honest Joes out there who are trying to release something and not necessarily uh, take advantage of people. Because I'm sure some of those is just people shooting a nice video yeah, with an idea I, that's I never going to come to fruition. Because because it was meant to be the it was meant to be this this interesting launch vehicle for people that didn't have access to stuff like we didn't know people to get funding from. You know, I mean that this was a we're going to spend our time, we're going to see what we can do and. It was it was a really good time. It was the right time. And then, you know, we 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 instantly went to Interbike actually, because that was still mm. around at the time. 
And so we took this to Interbike and we went into like the triathlon area and Interbike. And that was just like a crazy, interesting experience. We met so many people at that time. And, you know, I think that gave us this, this nudge of, Hey, like this is, this is a really awesome space to be in. And, you know, let's see if we can make this work. Unfortunately, over the years, we've met companies that have tried to start up and maybe haven't, you know, necessarily pushed on, but there have been plenty that have. And so it's kind of cool to, I don't know, kind of grow up with some other, you know, small brands that are now much more legitimate brands. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that's kind of a nice shared experience, too. Yeah, I assume it's quite tough. I mean, in the sense of um, like trying to build brand name recognition, because if you make one product that absolutely bombs and is not good at all, it could like. I, I feel like that has it could have a huge negative impact on people, you know, like if so you're always kind of thinking like, is this a safe product to make, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're, you're touching on two things. I mean, I think sure. there's the quality aspect, there's the safety aspect, obviously, there's the quality aspect, and then there's the does this thing function, you know, properly. And I think it is really important in the beginning that 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 has to be dialed in. You know, I think there's there's a little bit of luck involved in all this stuff, right? You know, you can test your products you know, over and over again. And we do that, you know, there, there is a set of standard tests for, for bicycle parts in case people don't realize that, you know, there is a thing like that. And most, you know, companies, they create their own tests. Like we do, we go above and beyond. We do a bunch of stuff in house, you know, work with outside labs and stuff like that, because you have to ensure stuff is safe, but the durability of stuff is not guaranteed, right? You can analyze stuff all you want. And I think, you know, you get a little bit of luck on your side and we've been really happy with, you know, the durability of our products, which I think is something that people really appreciate. So it, it's this initial quality and then it's the long-term quality. And I think we've been happy with the fact that we've got people that are riding aero bars and seat posts from 2014. That's wild. Riding stems from 2015, 16 today. And all that stuff is as good as it was when they were first using it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's really gratifying because it does set you up to have a reputation. So if you have something that has problems after a year, that's something that people remember. It takes a long time to get, I think, you know, brand recognition within the outdoor space, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you do it right and you get good brand recognition, then people associate the stuff you do with things that stick around. That's a great thing. And you know, if you don't do it right, I think it is really hard to get past that. Mm-hmm. Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, I, I had, um, <clears throat> I know with my dual position seat post, I never, uh, I never ever lubed it or oiled it. So I came, at one point, all of a sudden I noticed, I'm like, man, it's really hard to shift positions. You know, I'm like, I'm really struggling with this and I'd have to yank on it. And then I was out on a ride and then I got home and I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's oil this. And next thing you know, I was like, oh, it's just like new. <laughs> 
We are we are definitely a big fans of the no maintenance, and part of it is because we don't like doing maintenance on our stuff. So yeah, we like the idea that you shouldn't have you shouldn't have to be forced to build in this idea of maintenance, like you know, expensive maintenance mm-hmm. or whatever. We just don't feel like that's a great thing to do. So we often don't make stuff because we were like, well, if this thing needs to be maintained, I don't know that it's going to really be you know something that matches with what we want to put out there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say oiling uh, the moving parts of that seat post once a year is uh, is maintenance. That's just no, just no. smart move. No, I think uh, I think this idea of like a rebuild, a yeah. rebuild every nine months, and so, they, you know, I think that that some people they love that they embrace that. I think for most people they probably want to avoid that. So um, so I, lazy. I think we're we're a big fan of yeah hiding all the hiding all the the parts that you know can get affected if, if, if possible and make it so you don't have to do anything if you don't if you don't need to yeah so when did the uh the shock stop stem first come out so i you know we we um i want to say that it started uh started going to people in 2016 maybe or late 2015 something like okay. that and um uh you know and and it's, it's funny because you know that's probably what we're best known for um, obviously that was your first encounter. You know, I think that the triathlon stuff is relatively niche when we show it to people, they, they love it. But, you know, I don't know that I think people seek those products out, um, which is super cool because, you know, it's really nice to meet a need that people have, uh, you know, from that standpoint, but yeah, I think the shock stop is the one that, that we're probably best known for. And so, yeah, it's been around now since 2016. And, you know, a lot of people at the time, they, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, um, you know, questions, this small brand, you know, bringing back technology from the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has either a positive or a negative experience, you know, going back to early mountain bike days. What's interesting is that, you know, then you have people like specialized after that come in and release products that are similar. And then there's this idea of, you know, probably the industry as a whole moves more towards comfort, embracing, you know, this, this idea of, of small suspension. And, and so now you've got tons of bikes with the stuff built in and it's nice to be there saying like, Hey, we were there telling people the same thing and people weren't listening back yeah, then. Yeah. But now, you know, people act like, Oh, I always knew this was a great thing. And it's sort of like, well, that's not what people were saying at the time, but you know, I'm, we're glad that we pushed on and listened to the people that were users as opposed to people just kind of telling us, Oh, you're just, you know, you know, trying to reinvent something that was a failure in the nineties and, I think people forget that before a suspension stem was considered, you know, kind of passe in the nineties, it was actually the cool thing to have on your bike. Right. So even if it isn't well suited to mountain biking, it still made a pretty big impact, which is, which is why we looked at that technology because it's simple and, you know, given a lot of advancements in manufacturing, we were able to, you know, change the way it was made so that it would be maintenance free and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think that, that there are probably a lot of things like that out there where some stuff was maybe just a bit ahead of its time or maybe used in the wrong discipline. And so I think there's some, some cool things that are still ripe to, to reintroduce back into, into the space. Honestly. Is there a, is there a need at all for um, like, I know you say very low maintenance, but the suspension stem, like, is there ever a need to take it apart and let the, the rubber, what do you call them? Um, the elastomers. The elastomers, yeah. Is there a never need to take them, switch them out, and replace them, or let them kind of get back to their natural form? Because I noticed when I took mine, I put a little bit of weight on one winter, and uh, so I, I changed things up and readjusted a bit, and I noticed they're quite squashed, and I just threw them back in the bag, and six months later, I was like, oh, they're kind of back to their normal shape. So Yeah, they they uh, they take a bit of a set when they're in there, which is actually by design. So, okay. Um, What's cool about elastomers is they're really interesting spring elements because you 
you can control them in a way you can't do it with like a normal coil spring. You know, you can create a very nonlinear, you know, kind of re re response from them. And so that's actually by design. You know, they, they take on this little bit of set and then they have this, you know, sort of complex spring curve that you get by constraining it in different ways. Oh, okay. And um, what, what's nice is that they're really, really resilient. As long as you don't kind of crush them beyond a certain point, they won't wear out. You know, these materials are, are pretty amazing. You know, temperature resistant, you know, they're obviously not exposed, but you know, they're UV resistant too. They're pretty resistant to chemicals and stuff. So it's actually quite impressive what you can do with some of these things. There's a lot of these elastomers are used in industrial applications, okay. that, you know, inside factories and stuff doing exactly this, you know, preventing things from crashing into each other and stuff. So they, um, they're really cool. And, and what's nice is that I, I actually am not sure I, I, I may, I, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure if we've ever actually replaced one because it's broken. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure we've ever seen an elastomer yeah. that's broken. I, I think we've had someone that like cut one by accident, but. Okay. Uh, I, I know like Brompton has used them for their rear suspension um, for a long time on their, uh, the Bromptons, right? The, and, um, and I think, or is that the birdie? Anyways, one, maybe it's a birdie. My wife has a birdie and has a little elastomer back there. And yeah. I've only heard of a few times where somebody says it's dried out and cracked and stuff. And I think that's, and that, that's, yeah, that's probably living in Southeast Asia where it's always hot and, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think we've been, I think we've been lucky with our material choices early on that we kind of went overboard with the material choice. And so I think it's held up really well from that standpoint. You know, it used to be that you could, get this this uv stuff was like a real problem so that's another nice thing since yeah. they're inside the stem, and they're in the stem they're, they're hidden away yeah 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 they're pretty awesome um so at what point did the seat post kind of come in to to pair up the system you know to make the full shock stop system we we sort of always knew that we wanted to do a seat post and we wanted to do it a little bit differently than than had been done and so you know we we have a we have a a list of things we want to make a mile long. So even when we were putting the stem out there, we knew that we wanted to do the C-Post, but it took us a little while to do it. So that was more of like a 2018 okay. kind of release. And, you know, we wanted to get it right. And what, one of the things we wanted to do that we hadn't seen, uh, you know, necessarily done before was we wanted to kind of keep with that ethos of the stem where if you weren't looking for this, you might not notice it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that, I think that suspension, components, especially things like stems and C-posts, they get a bit of a bad rap because they're often very overt looking. Um, and, and that's kind of putting it nicely. Some are downright ugly, obviously, you know, and, and that, that's fine on certain, on certain machines. But I think when, you know, we, we wanted to make stuff that was really uh, subtle such that someone would feel comfortable putting it on their, you know, their beloved high-end bike and not yeah. feel like they were changing the styling of that bike. So that was kind of really important to us is to, to make it really compact. And the other piece was that, you know, it had to have that design element, but it also had to be functionally, you know, the best thing we could make. And so, you know, the, the angles and, and the, the way that the movement occurs, how it's preloaded, those are things that we thought were shortcomings in a lot of other designs that were out there. And so we kind of tried to find our own path to how can we improve upon, you know, this concept and really bring it into, you know, something where it's, you know, super adjustable, but you get all of that travel in the right direction relative mm -hmm. to where, where you're encountering these, you know, force vectors when you hit stuff and things like that, as opposed to going straight up and down, as opposed to going forward and backward, you know, kind of really looking at that. So we did quite a bit of kind of analysis on the bike to figure that out. 
And we're probably surprised that more people hadn't done that before. But I, I think it's not surprising because if you put any compliance in there, you'll get a nice benefit from it. Yeah. So I think we wanted to say, hey, this isn't just any compliance. Let's put in something that's truly usable. So like the 35 millimeters you get on our, our standard C-post, you can use 35 millimeters. That is not true of basically anything else. Okay. You know, and so I think when you, when you see some of these numbers and stuff, it's like, yeah, you could get 20 millimeters out of another post if you put it in some kind of hydraulic press or something. But realistically, no one's ever going to reach those numbers. We wanted to have something where we actually gave people that sort of like that whole amount so they could really take advantage of, hey, I'm going to really ride this soft on my commuter bike or I'm going to ride this, you know, set up in a certain way for really rough terrain. I'm, I'm going to make it so it takes the sting off of everything. I don't feel anything. Or someone wants to not have it move at all. They can do that, too. So I, I think there was we, we took quite a bit of time kind of refining that. And that's actually the reason we came out with the second version of the C-Post, you know, the pro, right? feedback from people about, you know, what they liked and didn't like. And it's kind of interesting. We heard from a fair amount of racers that they wanted a bit of a different setup. And that's actually why we made oh, our, okay. you know, our pro yeah. version was we made it so that people could set it up in a, a bit of a racier way and more tuned actually to road bikes. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's been really well received and we, and, we like to listen to feedback. So, and the know, pro C-Post has 20 mils, right? It does, yeah. yeah. So less travel, it's a lot lighter weight, and it's actually a mix between springs and elastomers. And so is it a full 20 mil, like lighter. you're saying, where you're saying you're at full 35? Is it gives you a full 20? Yeah, so it's basically the same geometry, and you get that full 20 okay. out of it. And and I, I think the thing that, that we were working with some elite riders, and they were looking for something that was taking the edge off, but they really, really didn't want it to enter into their consciousness. So that was actually one of the big focuses uh. was, how do we make something that just purely sits in the background? very different say than our standard post which is like if you want to ride this thing on some rough stuff you're gonna you're gonna feel it but it's gonna preserve you tremendously during that yeah. ride so we kind of made the two ends of the spectrum yeah and forward. i've i've and i've used both and uh the the regular seat post the standard one sits on my um my my rigid uh, titanium bike because i just like a little bit of cushion you know um and of course the the stem as well but I'm also thinking of pairing that stem with a suspension because I've I've heard great things of that too, where people are saying you can set your suspension to absorb the big hits, and the stem takes up all the small shocks, so you can have that really good uh, balance. So I'm I'm excited to possibly try that this year. I just got to check the budget. Um, yeah, we've, we've had we've had some uh, we've had some good success that you're talking about, and I think I think that that stuff is pretty complementary. And what's interesting is that you know. Oftentimes forks can be uh, they can they can be a bit slow to react sometimes, and so that's yeah. the nice thing about being able to to complement. I think we 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 do have a fair amount of people that like that. They like the quick absorption that you can get, and then combine that with something that can handle you know significant travel, um, and it, it can be a nice combination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I might I might try that out. We'll see. It, um, should all be determined in the next few weeks, I guess. Um, yeah, and actually, I was going to say, I've used the Pro Seat Post, and I have it on my folding bike, which is the perfect place, because the folding bike has 20-inch wheels, and it takes just a little bit more pounding on the road, and it just kind of smooths all that out really nicely, and i um, got to say, it's it's quite quite cozy. But um, yeah, not to just say that I only use this gear, like, um, I do try to lend it out, too, so when people are asking me questions here in the Ottawa area, and they say, hey, how do you like the Seat Post, or how do you like this? I say, well, come borrow it, you know? Um I say I'm 
it was, you know, given to me and I'm thankful for that, but I'm, I'm more than happy to, to let people try things and see if it, you know, suits their needs. And, uh, I, I appreciate you doing that because it is, it's one thing to tell people about stuff and yeah. it's just a different thing to feel it. And, and I, we've, we've always experienced this, you know, I mean, we would go to triathlon events and, you know, when you show someone the, the quick release error bars, like in person, there's a wow factor that's really hard to translate through screens. And stuff. Right. And I think it's the same thing with feeling the suspension is yeah. I think you can be a complete skeptic, but if you ride around on something, you are going to, you're going to fall on one side or the other. You're going to determine yeah. that this thing is the best thing you've ever felt, or you're going to say, yeah, that's not for me or, or wow, I can see what you're saying, but you know, yeah. I would tune it this way. And I think that's, that's an amazing aspect of, of, you know, be a bike bike stuff right being able to show people and, and kind of feel it but it's a challenge right you know like how do i get everyone to try something who wants to yeah and so you know the, the one way we've tried to deal with that is to essentially create a you know totally open uh like test and return policy you know that's mm-hmm. been kind of a big thing we've done and just to make sure that people don't feel this um concern that they can't ride with something so we we let everybody ride with stuff for three months and we say oh, eat it nice. up use it as as much as you know as how you would tune it do all that stuff because we really want you to to try these we don't want someone to say oh i i maybe i can take it out of the box and look at it but i have to preserve the finish and no we want everyone to use it like that and it's a pretty easy policy to have when we just don't have a bunch of people sending stuff back but i think it does you know we, we set it up the way we'd want right so yeah. it take it takes the concern out of stuff and so that's one way we do it but it's really nice that you're lending that stuff out we wish yeah. we had more opportunities to get people to play and, and try with stuff where they didn't feel any pressure. Yeah, actually, funnily enough, there's a guy, um, Mike, I, I think he goes by Mike Biker Canada, and he said he emailed you guys just the other day to ask you about uh, integration of, I forget which saddlebag he has, but with the dual position seat post. And uh, he listens to the podcast. He's also coming to the summit in June. And he messaged me to ask. And I said, well, where, where are you located? Because I was thinking if he's coming to the summit, he maybe he's in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. And he said, actually, I live in Orleans, which is like 30 minutes from here. Not New Orleans. And um, so I said, well, just come borrow it. You know, I said, I don't know. I said, I used the Blackburn, but it was set up for um, it was set up for to be used with the dropper post. So there was no attachment there. So it didn't affect it. And I said, I've used it with a restrap race bag, which is pretty small. So also had no impact. It worked perfect, you know? And he says, Oh, I can't come take your seat post. You need it. I said, well, I have other seat posts. I'm like, just, yeah, just come borrow it. Take it for a couple of weeks, have a spin, see if you like it. And, you know? And if you don't give it back by the way, the summit, I'll hunt you down now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he was pretty chuffed. And he's like, awesome. Oh man, I can't believe you're gonna lend it to me. It's like, what's the big deal. It's like, it's, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's what I started all this for. I want to share. I want people to experience things and, you know, and it's a good product. So rather than order it and not sure if you like it, come try it. If it works for you, then order uh, it, you know? That's great. No, it, 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 and I mean, we've always found, I mean, we, you know, we're not some big marketing engine, right? We're, you know, we started as three engineers and, you know, we're still, we're still super engineering heavy, you know, there's five of us now. And it's one of those things where, you know, we drive with product development and, you know, the nicest thing is that, that if we get enough stuff out there, people tell other people about it. And that's the best way for people to learn about products. And I can tell people about things all day long, but when someone who's using something tells someone they know, it's just yeah. way more powerful, let them try it. Like, and so I hope, I hope that we, continue to benefit from that kind I of hope thing. So too, it's, yeah. it's a kind of a nice way to build things. Yeah. There's some really cool story. Like I heard one was, um, uh, another sponsor of the summit actually coming up is, uh, my VeloFit. So they have a digital bike fitting system they developed 
and uh, there was a bike expo here not too long ago, and this a girl came up and said, "Hey, do you guys know where I can get this um, this dual? I think it was a dual position, but it was either dual position or the sh- the the shock stop." And she says, I was listening to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, and he keeps talking about this, so where can I get one? <laughs> and they're, they, I, had, I was just there earlier that day chatting with the guys, so they're like, that's so funny, because like, no sooner did you leave than this person comes up talking about your podcast. And I was like, that's <laughs> awesome. You know, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I don't know, I lost my train of thought. Anyways, um, yeah, uh, Arclight pedals, I guess we could talk about those. How did those come to be? Because it, when when they first came out, I was under the impression that it was a different company, and then all of a sudden I saw it was with Restrap. Uh, no, sorry, Restrap Redshift, and I was like, "Oh, it's a Redshift product." I wasn't sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's was, kind or of, is it a kind of a collaboration? No, yeah, it, it, it's 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 un- completely under the Redshift brand. We we thought maybe we needed to brand this stuff a little differently oh. because we, we you know, I, and I, I think like our ethos is that we design stuff that helps for the kind of riding that we're doing. And a fair amount of us ride e-cargo bikes for commuting and getting around town and groceries and all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, if I don't have to drive a car, I'm, I'm happy. Well, you're so, in Portland, right? So it's like the perfect place to have a, I'm, I'm in San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco. Sorry. Yeah. But Portland is a great place to do it. But yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's super too. I mean, San Francisco's tiny, right? I can get around everywhere on a bike. So there's no need to have a car. And so right. you know, I, I really like that. And so, yeah, we were riding, we were riding a lot more commuting in the cities than you know, and, and, and a number of the guys are in, in Philadelphia. So we, you know, we were doing that kind of thing and, and we kind of just got pulled into the safety thing a bit. And so we thought, man, you know, we, maybe we could do something here. And I, I don't remember who it was, but you know, one of us had seen this study that came out a few years ago. Um, and it was out of this group out of Clemson that does a bunch of like pedestrian and bike safety studies. And they were studying something and they had this, this sort of thing where they put like some lights on someone's ankles on a bike. And it was like incredibly significant how different the, the rider was in terms of visibility uh, when they had their lights moving than when they had them static. Right. You know, and, and it wasn't like a small effect. It was like a massive effect. And I ended up reaching out to the professor that ran the study after we kind of got interested in this and, it was super enlightening talking to him about the stuff they'd done. No they'd pun done intended. <laughs> I hadn't even seen those other ones. And yeah. so I talked to him about what we were thinking and he was like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, very cool. I'd love to see it. And, you know, he's a big proponent of just be, you know, pedestrian and, and rider safety. And so we kind of got pulled in this and thought, well, maybe we can do something that's interesting. It's different, you know, and we went down the route of designing a bunch of different versions. And then we came to the, you know, the one that we released and, you know, so at the time, you know, I think we were thinking, well, are we going to, you know, are we releasing this under the Redshift brand? Because, you know, is, is there going to be some confusion because people are going to wonder, is this a, a performance product? Or oh, what is I it? see. And so we sort of thought, well, let's give it some branding that we can kind of group some stuff together. And that's where that came about. But at the same time, we, you know, we didn't want to have it be too far away. But we also thought this might be the introduction to this type of product for many people that haven't seen our products so we don't want to have them show up on our website and then they see a bunch of people racing drop our bikes and right thinking, what yeah. is this? so that was kind of weird I, and and like i said we're not we're not you know we're not a, this big marketing engine so we thought oh we'll try to do that and use this branding a little bit too and i think people like that branding but we're not we're not pushing it super hard you know we just kind of have this category now which we consider to be more of like a commuter 
you know, type uh, city riding, you know, or riding around cars and stuff, as opposed to our other products are, you know, super suited for that too. But we obviously have this identity related to bike packing and gravel mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of off-roading. So that that's something I think we're navigating right now, but we just sort of liked that brand and thought, well, let's, let's do a little bit of lift here and see if it has traction. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember when it uh when, when it came out and I first got them and you know, of course, like like everybody is just like spinning the pedal. I'm like, this is so cool, man. Like it just the lights keep flicking, switching. Um but one of the big thoughts that went through my head and obviously this was a question I was going to ask you uh, 6 months ago, um was how awesome would it be if I could clip into these? Like why why don't you have a set that could be clipped in? And obviously you guys have solved that problem before I ever had to ask the question. So um yeah, I mean, why did it take so long? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of always been in the plan yeah. to uh, to expand this line. I mean, not only with pedals, but you know, we're looking at other sort of complementary things. I think in the same sort of space related to safety, and so we we had we had that stuff in mind. We definitely heard the feedback, and the the funny thing is, it took it took a little while because. Uh, you know, we were running into some availability issues and we're still running into them. So we are still navigating that, you know, oh, yeah. the, the supply chain side is, you know, is something that there's always a nuance to it. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think the feedback was clear that people wanted different versions of stuff and, you know, the versatility that we we tried to create by creating this little light module, you know, we're we're also interested in trying to expand on that so it can go in different places and how can we get some of the same effects for anybody riding with different stuff you know so it doesn't have to maybe be a wholesale replacement of something right you know how can we kind of achieve this so that we're, we're still we're still working on a bunch of things in that area still working out the supply chain side but i think we're kind of excited about being able to enhance safety you know maybe in the same way that we think about enhancing comfort because you know it may be a bit more of a serious thing um, it's less about unlocking, you know, fun and adventure, yeah. but I think that people recognize now more than ever that it's, you know, it can be dicey riding on roads. And so I think we thought we've, we've got to put out stuff in that area that we think can help because if everyone combines a bunch of things together, then maybe we can get to a point where, where people are safe on the roads and, and they're really not going to be thinking they're going to have someone come up and, and smash mm-hmm. into the by accident. It's interesting because, um, you know, just recently we've been hearing about more and more pro riders who are getting hit by cars. And now you're also hearing from pro riders that say, I would never go riding without lights front and back, you know? So people are starting to go, oh, I need good lights front and back because the pros use them, you know? And it adds a lot of, you know, thought to that. So, you know, for me, when I go on these big bike packing things and I ride all night long, a lot of times. I wear a Tracer 360 running vest because my wife, um, she bought it for me because she knows I do these crazy things. And she's like, I don't want you riding down the road in the middle of the night with just a little flashing light and a car to hit you. This thing's not heavy. You can put it on and it blinks in every whatever conceivable way. Yeah. And I mean, definitely I'm 100% seen. So I'm super stoked that you guys came out with a clip on uh, with a clipless set. Um, I was wondering originally if one of the big limitations was because of licensing, if you want to use the clips from a certain brand instead of having a proprietary clip, which then is inconvenience for everybody. Um, so I thought and, that and might yeah, be, I mean, it's it, 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 like you said, I think we're interested in, we, we always talk about, you know, how do we meet everyone where they are yeah. and everyone has different preferences. So we actually polled everyone to see what their preferences were. Uh, and so that that's part of it is, yeah, you know, how do we cover the range of what people like to ride with you know like a lot of questions about road cleats and 
you know, other versions of, you know, mountain cleats. And so I think that is a challenge. I mean, this is a, a huge challenge with cycling mm-hmm. in general is the, the number of standards, you know, that we sort of all have to live with all the time. And so that, that is, that is kind of a question that, that, you know, we continue to, to deal with and we're looking at ways to kind of solve that. Maybe there's some partnerships we can do with people yeah. that allow us to kind of give everybody the flavor that they're looking for. Well, I yeah, figured too, I mean, with, that's definitely a piece of it. with the way your pedals are designed that like, you know, you, you mentioned that you're going to send me one of the clip in one or the clipless and the way the brackets can be taken off, maybe they can be switched up with ones that would activate on a different clip. Who knows? Right. So that's really yeah, interesting that, that to is, see how that. Yeah. I think it's a hope for us that we can have uh, some, some form of interchangeable elements, you know, yeah, it's uh, neat. Yeah, in, in the near term. And, and that's what we're, we're, we're trying to talk with, you know, the different folks that make, you know, some of the different standards to see how we can incorporate these, these pieces together and, you know, kind of do it in a, a way that, like I said, you know, gives everyone the flavor they're looking for yeah. and kind of covers covers the bases as much as we can. But at the same time, we're I think we're also looking at ways to say, okay, well, what if what if we did, you know, what what if we looked at things not as having to always wholesale replace, you know, components all over mm-hmm. the place. And so I think that's part of the modularity uh... that is exciting is like, is there is there, you know, can we create sort of a system of things that give everybody an opportunity to outfit themselves to be more visible not just yeah. one thing they can do and i think the vest is a good example it's like i think that if everybody if everyone had helmets with lights and vests and lights all over their bikes and pedals and stuff you know we'd all be safer but there's a convenience factor to it and so that's another piece that we think about quite a bit is how do we make stuff that's convenient and that's why we spent all the time kind of building these sort of smart features in that that on, on the surface value is say hey it's a light you can turn it on and off yeah but you know what people are pretty lazy by nature, not because they don't get up and do things. It's just because there's a lot going on. And so you don't want to create a situation where it's not convenient for someone to be safe. So I think we think about that a lot is how can we put products out there that are the most convenient thing you can have such that you get that safety, despite the fact that you've got so much stuff going on that you aren't always remembering to do this and that. And so lights just come on, lights go off. You don't have to think about it. You know, that, that stuff is worth, it's worth a lot more than it seems like it is when you're evaluating something, but the way people actually live their lives, that's really nice and convenient when it actually just works for you. Yeah, it's actually been really interesting because I'm, I always forget that they come on and off automatically. So sometimes I, I roll in the garage and it's blinking and I'm doing something. I'm like, don't forget to turn off the light and I come to turn it off and it automatically switches off. Or sometimes I turn it off and I'm like, oh shit, why did I turn it off? It's going to go off in like 30 seconds or whatever, or two minutes, you know, uh, I forget about it. But, um, you know, in time, you think that if, if enough companies start making cool products like this, then we'll be in the habit of thinking like, you know what, it's going to go off on its own and we don't have to worry about these things. Cause- it, and, and it's funny because that, that was one of the things we, we thought about quite a bit was, um, you know, we, we one of the problems we thought we were solving or I think that we did solve for many people is, you know, having so many different lights that operate differently. And so could, could we pare this down for people? So you can the easily know, okay, yeah, this is what's going to happen with my bike. Cause I think that's the danger. If, if everything operates so differently, you know, yeah. do, do, is there a scheme that everybody kind of settles on or, or is there a point where you can get to the point where you have like a system of stuff on there that operates the same way. So you can not worry about it as opposed to like, I've got 10 different lights. What buttons do I have to press on? Which one to turn on and which one's charged? You know, mm-hmm. that, I think that's, that's something we continue to think about is how do we expand to have something where it all operates the same way. So you're like, yeah, yeah I know exactly how this works and I never have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, I know when you mentioned, when I, when I first uh, chatted with you about the pedals, and you, I said, oh, these will be great for bikepacking. You're very quick to mention. You said, Chris, I have to tell you, they're not waterproof. Like, not a, like don't, sub, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that is a, a consideration. But it's a small consideration because I think, you know, if you're going to hit a big body of water, you're probably, I mean, sometimes you might even stop to take your shoes off and stuff. So at that same point, you would pull out those lights and throw them in your pocket. Right. So I think, I think for my, you know, and, and, and I'm probably accused of caveating things more than I need to, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're not waterproof, right. They're, they're really, you know, I, I would call them sort of like rain storm proof, you yeah. know, what, there's, there's a classification system, but it doesn't splash proof. Is that the word? I don't know. They're using. Yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those things where like when you start to submerge things, they get pressure. And so, you know, we, we try also to design stuff where we've tested it way beyond this. But, you know, as soon as you make a few thousand of something, there's variation in there. And so, right. you know, sometimes, you, and, and I think I think people probably don't admit that uh, that enough, but, you know, there's quite a bit of variation when you do things, especially when you seal something up. So, you know, we have a lens that's sealed on the top of the, of the light and it's glued on. And it's a pretty sophisticated process that's actually really cool to watch. But there's variation in this process. You know, temperatures change, yeah. time of day, you know, the, the, you know the, the way the thing is, is working and stuff. So at the end of the day, you know, we know that it actually tests better. So it's probably fine for most people, but I always hate to say that. And then someone's like, I took it on this adventure and one of the lights didn't work after I submerged it in three meters of water for, you know, 10 minutes. And so <laughs> you're like, oh, I guess I should have said, you know, don't do that. So it's in the fine print. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so we're making it clear now too, like, you know, buyer beware. If you're going to ride submerged through big puddles, you're best off to take the lights out of the pedals yeah, first. They will continue to work perfectly if you do that. If you ride them through, they might work fine. But the, how many puddles, how much pressure can you give them? You know, yeah. it's sort of DVD in the wild, I think. But Yeah. Well, when it's a big enough puddle, I don't even like to ride my bike through it. I'd rather just walk and carry the bike because, you know, I don't really want to get the bottom bracket and all those things like with that much water for that long. But maybe I'm over, you know, I over worry things too, you know, so who knows? I think it depends. It depends. Are you sleeping in the socks you're riding with? Because that, that, I think that 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 may be the thing that determines it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, I got I got I got one one thing I've got to ask you guys to to focus on, um, and it's got to do with your arrow bars because I know your arrow bars are very specifically designed towards your triathlon guys. I mean, the original concept was towards triathlon. You know, I have the sweet little bottle mount which unfortunately I don't really use these days because it's not convenient for bikepacking because bikepacking, I'm more about the devices. You know, I've got between the arrow bars, I have my in-reach or whatever strapped or, you know, secured. I have my Garmin. I have my phone on the quad lock a lot of times. And the one issue I run into, and I've used um, one of your mounts and it's attached right to where the, the bottle cage would mount. But it's not super convenient because sometimes it does move if you hit enough bumps and stuff. Um, it's an arrow bridge of some sort, even if it's just a one-sided connector, obviously, so you can still use the quick release. Because I've I've made a bridge at the end of the arrow bars, but it makes it really hard to take the arrow bars off your bike after, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd say that's my, my request to you guys is uh, to see what you could come up with that would be uh, uh, some kind of bridge that could be mounted to one bar but would be secure enough to, to mount a device to so you could still take off the arrow bars if you need to and yet uh have more more real estate space you know 
No, it's a good, it's a good idea. Note, noted, noted. I will, uh, will ruminate on this a bit. And it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because one of the reasons that we came out with the, our handlebar was because we were thinking about what would be, you know, setting aero bars aside. We said, okay, what is something that would add a lot of utility for bikepacking? And that's why we put that integrated loop on there and, and you know, and created the, the bag and stuff like I think that was sort of in our mind is how do we create this gear space for people yeah. that they may be currently using aero bars for. And I, we also saw a lot of people using aero bars to strap stuff underneath. And it's super good idea to do that. And so we're like, oh, well, should we just put something permanent on a handlebar that lets you do that so that you have front bags, you know, maybe more secured than you would otherwise have. And, you know, and so that, that's kind of funny that, that that is what we were channeling a bit there, but we had not full circled it back to the aero bars yet, and kind of bike packingized them, and that's yeah. probably a, an area that we could do a lot, a lot with a lot, a lot. You know that the idea you mentioned. Plus, I can think of a bunch of other things we could probably do that would be really, really conducive to gear carrying yeah, yeah. and other stuff like that. Yeah, like um, in my mental sketch, it works. So <laughs> that's all you need to start. Yeah, for sure. Like a 3D printer, and then yeah. you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, you guys have done well with the uh, the integrated loop uh, kitchen sink handlebar. Um, I haven't used one, so but they they do look really cool. And I've seen a few other companies now are also yeah coming out yeah, with the these. Space, the space is a lot bigger. It's actually funny because we showed the bar. We showed the bar. I want to say it was like 2018 at Sea Otter, and. You know, we thought, oh, you know, let's just show this thing before we come out with it. And then by the time we finished the manufacturing, there was already some other stuff. And we were like, wow, this space got crowded quick. And it is a lot more crowded now. And I think it's great, right? Because, yeah. the, the, you know, th this idea of, oh, there's all these alternative bars and stuff. Well, now that's like a mainstream thing. I don't think we're that crazy anymore, which is interesting. So we're going to go crazier and crazier because we want to be the craziest bar that you can find. And so that's a bit of a challenge for us. But yeah, it's kind of amazing how that space has brought along all the standard brands plus a bunch of you know small brands like us that have got their own take on something interesting you could do. And all of them are really cool. I, I, mm -hmm. like, I think we, we really appreciate what everyone else does because it's an interesting thing to feed everyone's perception of what's possible and then it makes everyone more open. To yeah, I was gonna say, it also pushes you to, to take things further to see where, you know, where those ideas are gonna go, you know, because... Um... Yeah, and and it, it was it's interesting because we were um, we were just talking to someone at Unbound the other day to make sure that you know we had a, a legal bar because you know they're they're in in some of those races they're now you know um, you know banning the use of aero bars in competition for either the pro categories or the other categories and right. I think it's something that we'll probably see more of and so that you know the good thing is that. Uh, the way we designed our handlebar, the loop does not extend past the brake hoods, which is, I think, the general qualification that's being used to suggest that uh, that's okay in competition. Yeah, and you so, see some out there are quite long, yeah. so I guess it's a... Yeah, some are quite long, so <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if they actually enforce that kind of thing, you know, or if it's or if it's more like, you know, only in the pro field, you know, so I, I think there'll be an interesting shakeout in some of those races over the yeah. next couple of years. How... Um... I, I'm, I'm assuming this is probably something you guys have already considered. So I'm not like throwing out some crazy ideas on the, the radio that you've, that nobody's thought of, but I know with the loop bar, like how hard would it be to have some bolt on, uh, shall we dare say clip on uh little armrest that can, you know, give your forearm a little bit of reprieve and, and how hard is it to make something like that not move, you know? 
Yeah, I, I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of such a such a product that may or may not uh, show up have, in a box have, at my house. <laughs> that, that, that may or may not be in the prototyping slash early prototyping stages. But no, I mean it, it, it's I mean it's the obvious. It's an obvious thing, yeah. and I think from a bikepacking standpoint too, you know, there there's a lot of stuff going on up there. So how do we you know kind of build something like this? And I think there I think there's a couple other brands that have have made a couple versions of this mm-hmm. that are not unreasonable. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think, I think there's some stuff out there we've seen some things and we, we have some designs that, you know, we haven't necessarily taken past the prototype stage, okay. but we have been playing with stuff ourselves because, you know, we like the idea, like I said, a number of times, we like the idea of people being able to use stuff for whatever they want. So yeah. a lot of people use the loop for gear. A lot of people use it for that sort of faux arrow position. It's not a position that you might be in unless you're super fit, like, for a really long time without having pads. Like I can't ride that thing unless I'm just trying to, you know, deal with wind somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that like for real ultra endurance stuff, you're gonna need real a real position to actually rest in. And so yeah, we've been thinking about it too. Yeah. How can we change it even to make it a little bit better? You know, we talked about bolting on, bolting off, all kinds of stuff. And so it's all in the cards. It's just a matter of us finding the time to do it. You know? Yeah. And I think probably one of the 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 bigger things to think of. I guess, well, no, if, I mean, if arrow bars can bolt on tight enough not to move, then I guess a, a forearm pad leaning backwards could probably be bolted tight enough to absorb your body weight without shifting. Yeah. You, I mean, you could definitely do it. And I think it's more a question of you need to make sure that stuff doesn't get in the way of your knees and things. So yeah. That's, that's yeah. I think big, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Especially when you stand up to pedal or something and then all of a sudden it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, yeah. The kitchen sink handlebar is really cool. Um, I'm a huge fan of the, uh, oh, I forget what the tops and drop grips. Um, you know, I've got them on a couple different bikes now and I've had so many people like look at that and go like, what are those things? And I said, well, you know, I, I talk about the top, the drop grips, especially I, I might not use the drops that often, but for bike touring, and this is like where it really fits in well with this podcast they're a fantastic thing to lean against walls because you don't tear apart all the grip on your handlebars. <laughs> that is like the first time I know exactly what you're talking about. That's the first time someone's communicated that in a way I do that all the time as well with my bike. And I never really thought about it, but that's, that's a really, that's a really funny thing. I also hope that it gives you more of an avenue to use the drops, yeah. which is part, part of the, uh, you know, part of the idea is to, to make that, position a bit more appealing and a bit more interesting but you're totally right about the fact that that's a really great place to lean stuff yeah or if you know you if even if you're you know when you're traveling you put your bike down you lean it down on the ground like it's always the you know the grip the wraps on a handlebar just get destroyed so fast so yeah. uh, i find those you know maybe it's not the primary design i'm 100 sure it's not the primary design but very good for that preserving a, another product though too some sort, <laughs> of, uh, some sort of thing that for for leaning on the on the end of the drop yeah. <laughs> and um yeah actually when i first got a proper bike fit that was the first time i realized like how critical it is the positioning of those grips because you know i mean it's not like i i just didn't know how to place them right because when you're not bike fitted you don't realize where your hands you know the I don't know the physiology of hand positioning and arms and interaction with your wrist and stuff. And, and my bike fitter, um, yeah, he checked those out and he was like, that's really cool, but like, let's adjust them properly. And, and now, uh, <laughs> now they're really comfy. And, uh, actually he went on, he has recommended the shock stops 
them to last time I saw him, I think he said at least a dozen clients. So that's really cool. Wow. It's not, it's nice to see the impact, you know, of a, that of a good awesome. conversation. So yeah. Um, I'm glad for your support and I'm glad that, uh, I'm able to pass that on through uh, the community. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that, that's why I say the word of mouth thing is the stuff that's, that's awesome. And I, you know, we really like hearing people, you know, when something has, has made a difference for them because it, that's the most gratifying, you know, thing about it is like, you know, for us, the ideal situation is that we can keep making things that we think are cool and, you know, keep, keep responding to people's feedback. And so the more, you know, the more people pass that stuff on, it just makes that more, you know, realizable. And like you said, you know, we're talking about three or four ideas right now. We would love to just, pop that stuff out and so i think that's the that's what we that's what we really want to do is just continue to you know make stuff that that makes stuff you know makes writing better for people yeah and you know it gives us the things that we we also enjoy we want to make things that we can use but at the same time we recognize everybody has different you know desires and needs and and different things so the way i use my kitchen sink handlebar is totally different than you know somebody else and that's kind of cool yeah, yeah. I keep considering putting uh, putting them on my uh, rigid mountain bike, but I mean, it's the guy told me he's like, I don't recommend it. It's made for drop. It's made for a flat bar, and I'm kept thinking like, you know, I could barely get a big kitchen sink on there, and uh, with a short stem, maybe I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll I'll test it out at some point. But um, that would be cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do use the top grips a lot. Like I love that center position just because you know when you're bike packing for hours and hours and hours you're not always on the hoods you know you're, you're a lot of times you're just sitting up and the most important thing is to keep your legs going right so um i really enjoy that position I, I mean obviously if i was doing a lot of single track downhill with the wider grip maybe that could be an issue for some people if they have smaller hands but i think for the most part um i've never had an issue with grip even when uh not on the hoods and on the brakes on my gravel bike but yeah, super comfy. So thank you guys. It's a it's a great product. Yeah, I, that that's the one that I really like too because that's my climbing position, and I feel like I feel like you know, and everyone has a different sort of relationship with it, right? Like you described, you know, what you just said, and it's like I, I totally know what you mean. Like when I'm climbing, I don't want to feel like I'm putting load on my hands, mm-hmm. and that's what helps me do that. And so yeah, it, it is funny, you know. There's I think that some people love one, some people like the other, some people love both. I, I think it's an interesting thing of you know something that simple right where you can just make a small grip right that you know it doesn't mean it to, wasn't simple to make but it's a simple thing right and it, it you know we're always looking for that i think as well like can we make something that really transforms something that's pretty simple and that one for me is is like maybe one of the main things where i'm like wow this this is something i can't ride a bike without now yeah question for you um when you see a company come out with a product that you guys have created, that's very, you know, original, is it a, the, the most sincere form of flattery or is it just kind of piss you off? <laughs> no, I mean, it's kind of funny because it's a, uh, I think, I think it definitely falls on the, the, the flattery side. I mean, you know, how many, how many, it, it's funny. I think as a small brand, whenever, whenever we come out with something that is somewhat similar to products in another space, I think people give us the side eyes a little bit. I'm like, ah, this thing already exists. And then I would think to myself, well, how many bike brands are out there and bikes already exist. So, you and, know, I mean, and somebody cars, comes out. Yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's room, there's room for lots of different versions of things. And so I think we see it the same way, right? Like if someone comes out with something that is, you know, really similar or trying to do the same thing, I think we, you know, we, we approach it as a, applauding the, the effort. And if it's a really cool thing, is there something we can learn from it at the same time? You know, I mean, if it's a, a really legitimate brand, you know, it probably raises awareness. So are we going to sit here and think, oh, this is this terrible thing? I yeah. mean, 
I think that the outdoor you know, space for brands is really collaborative most of the time. And everybody kind of knows everybody. Yeah. And everybody kind of knows everybody to some degree, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there are big brands that don't care about doing stuff that other people are doing, but I think that's, that's for them to decide. I think that more of the smaller brands, you know, I think that in the medium sized brands, I, I think there is a lot of mutual respect. And so, yeah, can you improve upon someone's design and do something? Sure. Definitely. I think the sort of direct copy stuff is is pretty dicey. Um, I don't think you see that very often. You, you know, I, I think there is more of this collaboration mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think we found as we become more of a brand that's in the space, we we are involved in a lot of more collaboration stuff where people would rather try to do something together than have to go off and design some brand new thing unless they really have this cool take on it. Yeah. So we see new products that have a really cool take on stuff, but they're generally in their own space. Or, you know, you get to see a lot of fun collaborations where you're customizing something or doing something a little different yeah. than maybe someone else has done and you're doing it together. And actually, I forget, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna say the bright brand because I forget which one it is and I'll probably be wrong, but there was a Shock Stop STEM you guys did in collaboration with, uh, I forget what company, but it also included the integrated cabling, right? Yeah, with BMC. And so with like, BMC, that's, that's what it was. Yeah. Where, where they absolutely could have designed something Right, you know, and and they would have had to navigate all this intellectual property and everything that we have. And so instead, right, I mean, the first and obvious thing was, hey, can we do something together? We want to create a version of this for this bike. And so, yeah, we worked with them, and I mean, they they did, you know, they did a load of cool stuff on there, and we tried to, you know, support that process, you know, as much as we can because to us, it was great to be on that bike. It and must have been a nice feeling, right, to have like, wow, BMC reached out to us, and yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it, I think it was really cool, and you know, and. and we're hoping that there's a lot more of that in the works. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's a great example of that kind of collaboration where I think everyone looks at that and thinks, oh, it's cool that these, these guys did this stuff together as opposed to, you know, just another totally new version of some integrated thing. Like we, you know, we actually used something that was out there that would, you know, people enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I remember seeing that and I was like, that looks awesome, you know? And um, so I was like, that's really cool. Like, yeah, it's good stuff. It's um, funny, we, we, a lot of people contact us and they, you know, they, they're like, ah, oh, can you sell me this thing? And it's like, well, we don't actually make this, you know, this is our, this is our collaboration with BMC. They make it. And so I was like, you're going to have to contact them. But now, now I feel like we need to get a bunch of them because so many people ask us for it. So. <laughs> contact BMC. Hey guys, we can sell them for you. <laughs> exactly. Um, how many, like, I mean, how many products get thrown out the window before they actually make it to to the stage, you know, like to the storefront uh, or to the to the website for that for that matter? Um, a lot. Yeah, is the answer. Yeah, a lot. And I think that's probably true for everyone. I mean, we and, and a lot of versions of things. Right. You know, I mean, we have lots of versions of stuff before we hone in on on something. And then, you know, the, the reality is that it's a process where you can have this really great fundamental idea. But then what happens is there will be a bunch of other things that come up. So you might have this awesome, like we had a super cool design for a suspension seat post that was really unique. And we took it pretty far and then just ran into this like major sort of fundamental barrier that we didn't really think we could get past. And so we had to set that aside. And so that that kind of stuff does happen. Um, and I'd say it, it happens relatively frequently. Yeah. We also do take stuff, sometimes we take things pretty far and then I don't know, kind of fall out of love with it maybe is like a good way to, to do it. It's like, you're really excited about something and then you take it to its logical conclusion and you think, yeah, you know, maybe this isn't actually that, that innovative or it really isn't, isn't doing what I really thought it was going to do. And so, you know, I think we're probably really far on the side of 
we feel like we only release things that you know do have a pretty big impact i think we're becoming you know more uh comfortable with extending our product line yeah. and doing things that are a little bit simpler but I, I do think we also try to have impactful products um you know we're not making rigid stems we're not making rigid c posts we're not making that kind of stuff because yeah sure we can make those things but what's what's the what's the special element of it mm-hmm. so we still do want to make things that have special elements that you know, where we're, we're doing something that is kind of like, oh man, I can't believe I didn't think of that, or I've never seen this before. Wow, that's like a really interesting take on this type, type of design. And so sometimes things don't qualify as getting there and we, you know, decide not to not to go that way. Yeah. So uh, other than the uh, armrest, what are you guys developing though? <laughs> no, no, I mean, we, 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 we're doing, actually, I, 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 can, I can speak about a couple of things. You know, we're, we're extending, uh, extending some product lines this year. So 2023 oh. is like the year of, of additional sizes. So we've got uh, two new stems coming out, um, one size 70 millimeters and one size 55 millimeters. 55, wow. 55, so it's a whole new design because the uh, the original mechanism, you know, we were only able to really squeeze it down to 80. Yeah. And so we've been getting feedback for a long time about shorter stems. So we've taken a long time, really carefully considered it and we've got a new design. I won't say too much more because sure. we're gonna unveil it to everybody. But yeah, but we're we're totally telling everyone, hey, stand by. We've got shorter sizes coming. Probably fall. Um, it's going to be fall of, ah, so of cool. this year. And then we've expanded our C plus line as well. So we're going to we're going to be doing increased diameters and increased lengths. Oh, okay, um, so, so rather than having to have shims, you'll just have a you can order the diameter yeah, you so want. We, yeah, you know, we we've we've been able to figure out what it is that most people are using, and so you know, shimming of the twenty seven two is still the lightest way to go about doing things. But there's a lot of people where they're looking for a native size, you know, and mm-hmm. and maybe not as much in the performance side. I think I think performance riders are are generally more open to techniques like shimming. But you know, we find like on the e-bike and commuter side, you know, people are just looking for those native sizes, and and they're not as familiar with the idea of using right. shims. They're a little nervous about it. You know, they maybe they haven't done it before. They don't know where to find. It sounds it. So wonky, they, right? They're like, ah, I can't a shim. What is that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or or they'll say, hey, do you have a CPOS in this size? And we say, oh, we got a shim. And they say, oh, I, you know, I I don't know. Or maybe they don't even find it. So we yeah. know that we want to extend. And then by doing the expanded diameters, we can also do different lengths. So we've got some, you know, call for long longer lengths. So we're gonna we're gonna do that as well. Um, and so that's a, a thing. And then we I mentioned earlier, but we've got a. Uh, We've got kind of a, a, a cool new uh, take maybe in the handlebar space that I won't say much more about that, you know, that we're, we're looking at. And so hopefully that's also a, a this year type of thing. And then, yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty much everything after that is in the in the stealth secret phase. Yep. But we've got other things on on the, you know, the drawing board that we're we're constantly working on. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, we probably probably work on a lot of stuff every year and only release a few things. But it's just because it takes time on you know, to kind of get things going. There's, there's only five of us on the engineering side and that sounds like a lot, but you know, it's actually less than you'd think when you realize you got to test everything and prototype it and manufacture it and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's hard to put into perspective, right? Like it's uh, I mean, if you're an outsider, you're like, I don't know, five, is that a lot? Is that small? Like, is that too little? Who knows? Right. So um, there's it, only one of me. And... The, it's a good number for the bike industry. I'll tell you that. I yeah. think that um, I think that we are engineering heavy, which is how we want to be oh, because okay. we want to be able to do complex stuff. You know, we, we want to continue to be able to tackle complex problems. And, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of administration around releasing the products that takes a lot of engineering time as it is. But we're always looking for ways to become more efficient and release more stuff because I think that's 
that's what we want to do. I think people yeah. want us to do that. And, and so we're, we're very much in agreement. What's the testing process like? Is that usually just done by you guys or do you have like some trusted friends you go to and say, Hey, try this out, try to smash it, try to, try to destroy it, give it everything it's got, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of everything. So there's definitely some of that, but you know, there's some pretty rigorous testing, uh, that's prescribed. And then we have our own versions of those tests. So we, we have, we have some pretty sophisticated, um, you know, uh, test testing rigs that we've designed and built in our, in our space. And we test everything on the annual. And this is stuff, everything from fatigue stuff to just, you know, moving through, uh, travel or motion, um, you know, impact testing, like all that kind of stuff. And then we do materials testing at outside labs, you know, to just make sure we qualify pieces and parts that we're using. And then there are outside labs. There's a, the two or three that are known in the bike industry, and we use them as well to just qualify our own our own testing. Okay. So we always do our own stuff, and then outside labs. And oftentimes, if you work with certain, you know, sort of the higher end factories that do bike stuff, they also have testing facilities. So we can sometimes test on their facilities as well, which is can be convenient because they do a lot of testing. So the more experienced someone is, the the better they are at you know giving you good you know hints about trying something different, mm-hmm. trying some. Know, new types of testing. So that's the primary stuff that we're doing. And then, you know, I would say that, you know, the, those tests are really good at getting to well beyond what most people would do to something, especially in a short period of time. Especially but, the machine you know, ones, right? Where it's putting a, yeah, yeah, a set number right. of pounds resistance or pressure and exactly. continuously. And hundreds, hundreds of thousands of cycles of things that those are, those are the real, the real things you got to, you know, really focus on. But we do also like to put stuff on bikes and try to break it. You know, I mean, like you said, that is definitely a good test. And if we can't do that, that's a good sign. Or if we can't shake it off, you know, that's a good sign. So we're always doing that kind of thing and and attempting to, you know, do some real world riding. I mean, most of the time we've been riding the stuff that we release for nine months to 12 months before it comes out. Okay. So, you know, full time, like we've been riding it on our bikes with everything we've been doing. And, and that's, you know, that's pretty typical for us. So if someone ever grabbed one of our bikes, they might find some interesting things. On it, you know, <laughs> there, yet, now you guys know where, which, whose bikes to go steal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, but, but that, but that's the, that's the, um, that's an important piece, you know, cause you've got to make sure that not just does it hold up, but does it, does it function the way we expect it to? Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I, I remember like the, the little holder for the arc light pedal lights that have one on the, the back seat post of my, my bike. And I, I, at first I was so paranoid it would just fly out, you know, and I just, just hitting, flying down single track. And I'm like, no, never, never moves. You know, no, it's not coming out. We, we, we tested those upside down on the front and rear of a mountain bike and a paint shaker as well. So oh, no we, we attempted to, we attempted to figure out. So if anything, I think we can be accused of maybe it sticks a, a little bit more than someone might want, you know, from a convenience of taking it on, on and off. But I'd much rather have you never lose it and have you to have to use two hands to pull it off. So you're saying we could just mount them upside down if we, uh, if we feel like it. You can mount it upside That's... down. It should have no issue. No know? way. I, I would never have guessed that. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I guess the last question that, that comes to my mind is, what uh, what made you guys decide to be like a direct to customer company as opposed to you know getting your foot in the door of the stores and um, you know I'm I'm assuming growth could be could occur at a much faster rate if you were in key shops all around the world. Um, you know it, what's interesting is um, it's it's almost like a uh, it's almost like an old versus new way of of kind of selling. And that's so true. you know these days 
all the brands that only sold exclusively to stores are trying to figure out how they're going to navigate the process of becoming a direct-to-consumer brand. Ah. And, you know, so when we started up, you know, the direct-to-consumer stuff was very common, not common in the bike industry. Right. So to us, it wasn't actually choosing to be direct-to-consumer over dealers. It was just choosing to not be exclusive to one or the other. Right. So we actually have lots of really great dealers and we sell to distributors around the world. Um, so we've got like fair amount of distributors in lots of key regions all oh, over the okay. place. We're in fair amount of shops all over, um, you know, not, not, you know, hundreds of thousands of shops. They're not hundreds of thousands of shops, but you know, not tens of thousands of shops, sure. but we're in hundreds of shops in okay. North America. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, I thought you were in Germany. Mm-hmm. I think our products also don't lend themselves to kind of being hung on a pegboard, you know, right. It's like our stuff's in the back or it's in the fit area or a shop will, you know, recommend something and they'll order it at the time to build up someone's bike. So I think we're a little bit more of that kind of experience as opposed to like actual displayed products somewhere, which is, which I think is fine. You know, we, we want the folks that carry our stuff in shops to be the sort of champions, you know, of it. And, um, and they know it and they, you know, just like the, the fitter you're talking about, I think that's kind of our ideal situation there. So we are, you know, we are direct to consumer and shop based, you know, and, uh, you know, on, on other marketplaces. And that's, that's by design. So we're, we're essentially, where does someone want to buy something? What's most convenient to them that we want to be there. So if their shop is the place they buy, we want it to be really easy for them to get it. Right. If they must prefer to buy direct from a website, great. If they want to buy it you know, off of Amazon, we're trying to be there too. So I think that we're we're trying to create a model that's convenient for everybody's kind of shopping personality. I didn't realize you guys were in shops, uh, maybe just because I'm up here in Canada and like we're <laughs> in a small city or something. But yeah, well, that's good. It's good. I didn't realize. I thought you were just online mostly. And uh, um, I, I guess that would have worked out really well during COVID when all of a sudden everything was closed and people were scrambling to figure out how to get to the online way of selling and you guys were already well in that sphere and yeah and it's it's very natural i think you know these these days i think it's much easier to be someone that is direct to consumer in all those channels and you know still have great relationship with dealers i think if you go the other way it's a lot more uncomfortable at this point so you know we have we have a we have a good relationship with with the the dealers that sell a lot of our stuff and you know i think we if we could sell everything through dealers, we'd be totally happy with that. So if people start buying that way, it's, it won't bother us one bit. But we also know there aren't bike shops where everybody Everywhere, is. Yeah. And so it's sort of like you're really ignoring a lot of people if you don't give them an opportunity to buy something in other ways. Yeah, especially like I know in Canada, like, you know, if you get outside some of the big cities, you, you might not find a bike shop for a couple hundred kilometers or a hundred, you know, easily. Like, could happen. Um, so. Yeah. And you definitely you can't be in every shop. So the odds are being a small town shop are much slimmer. And um, so, yeah, that direct to, to consumer method also works really well. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about that I, I might have kind of not touched on? No, this is a this is a great conversation. I feel like we touch on all kinds of interesting stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that we we are. Um, yeah, I said it a few times, but I think, you know, we're always looking for, you know, kind of what's the what's the need and what's the the unmet need that people have. And so, you know, I think bikepacking is, is an area, you know, like I said, that's not as, uh, you know, personally familiar. I mean, a, a number of the guys do it, but, you know, I think we, we are almost aspirational, I think on that side. And so, you know, but, but I think we are always open to trying to embrace some of the, you know, the, the things that are, that are, you know, 
people are doing and people are sharing with us. And so it's kind of been fun to be pulled into that. Yeah. Kind of like we're pulled into gravel. You know, I mean, when we started the brand, gravel was not really like a word that everyone would say. A few years later, it's like a, you know, term that now we're all using all the time. Yeah. And so I think it's the same with, with different disciplines. And so I, I you know, I, I can't wait to see sort of what's next, but I, I think that's been kind of an interesting thing where we definitely allow ourselves to be pulled into different places and then are really happy to, to, have been pulled into different places because mm-hmm. now we have, you know, all these awesome friends that are off on these crazy adventures and we're kind of living vicariously through them now. And that's pretty exciting. So. Cause when you own a business, you no longer have time to adventure. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, you know, you think, you think, you think if you could just work in the bike industry, you could ride every day. And I continue to ask myself, why is that not true? And I don't <laughs> know the answer. Yeah. I remember last year um, when I was building up the titanium mountain bike, I put my suspension stem from my gravel bike to it. And then one day I was out and I did a 160K ride, 100 miles on the gravel bike. And I think I made a story because I was like, I forgot how uncomfortable it was to <laughs> ride 100 miles without a suspension stem because, you know, lots of corrugated gravel roads and potholes. And it was just after winter. So they hadn't really been graded well yet. And um, that's when and- you really notice it. Is yeah. when you when you go to a rigid bike, especially if you've ridden a bike with a stem recently, and then you jump on a rigid bike, that is when you really notice it. It's it's kind of tough because we always tell people we'll do that, and then people are like, "But I don't have another bike that's rigid, so I can't really, you know, this is what my bike feels like." What do you mean, you know? So, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely notice when you you jump on a bike that doesn't have the stem. That's for sure. Um, what was also was there was something I was gonna say? It was on my mind, but I forgot. Anyways. Um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. I know uh, you're a busy man, and uh... no, always, always, I always have time to to uh, to chat about this stuff. I always find it to be fun, and and I mean, just think, you just you just gave me like four ideas in this in this uh, short period of time. So did I? Suspe- this, yeah, the suspension dual position seat post has to happen. <laughs> it's, I mean, I wrote it, I wrote it down while we were talking. So oh, good. You, you you will get you will get credit for all of these things as contributor to uh, uh, to the inspiration beyond these ideas. Awesome. Yeah, and my thought was on that was like I'm like how and I'm not an engineer, so this is totally on you guys. I'm like, how could you have a suspension seat post so when it's when you're in the back position you have the suspension, when you're in the forward position it kind of locks, so you have that power transfer. I'm like, they'll figure it out we, if it if it can be done. We we played with that. It, it is. It, that's a tricky one. Yeah. But we did play with that and we thought we could we could figure this out. It was not it was not readily obvious that it was going to be a something that would hold up long term. Yeah. But so. it is still a cool idea that is that is in the back of our minds. It, like like many things, we like I said, we've got this, you know, list of stuff a mile long and we try to revisit it fairly frequently because, you know, things change, right? And yeah. You know, pe- people are riding different ways, and all of a sudden, you think, "Oh yeah, we, you know, this thing we talked about five years ago, maybe we should be doing that." So, yeah, I find it interesting in my my position here, not as a podcaster, but as an endurance rider, because as an endurance, as somebody who likes to do endurance style gravel biking or bike packing, you know, uh, a lot of the products. Sometimes I'm like, "Oh, this was really great," but how come this doesn't exist, right? And and I'm not an engineer, and I've never deemed to try to, and you know. I don't have enough time in my days to to start working on developing new products, but I'll definitely try to keep a, a notepad and I'll be like, Hey, Eric. Um, I, I, I love getting uh, emails and messages from people that, uh, that have ideas, you know, because, you know, some ideas are, are crazy and fun and some ideas are, you know, 
super great and it leads to interesting collaboration. So yeah, always, always open to hearing what people thought and, and people's feedback. I mean, that, that's probably like the number one, you know, nice thing about, you know, I, I interact a lot on social media um, and, you know, we all, we all interact on there and, and with our customer service emails. And I think that's something where it's been really valuable to me because I get to hear from people firsthand what is working and what isn't. Yeah. You know, not just from like, I'm having an issue with this standpoint, but, you know, more like, here's what I wish this thing would do, or here's what I'm so happy that it does do. And I think that feedback is really valuable. And it's, it's led to a number of things we've done, you know, and it, and this year, right, all these lengths and, and, and uh, you know, diameter changes and stuff. I mean, this is people feeding back. I mean, we, we, see the, we see it as well, but we wait to hear that people really want it. And when you hear from enough people, you know, okay, yeah, there's yeah. actually a bunch of people that actually do want this that aren't letting us know. So that the feedback and, and these ideas is, I mean, it's part of the fun, right? So, yeah. So the biggest takeaway here is if, if you've been using the products and there's, you have a thought, don't hold it back. Just send an email because totally. maybe they're don't waiting to see back. who else says the same thing and they're kind of keeping tallies. And, it and is. Uh, we do, we do keep, we do keep tallies. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and when that, when that hits enough, uh, hits enough numbers, we say, gosh, this is a lot of people asking for this one thing. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Um, well, thanks for your time. Uh, and uh, I definitely look forward to talking to you again at some point and yeah, seeing what's, what sure. else is new or just uh, general in talking, you know, um, catching up. And No, thanks, Chris. This is awesome. And um, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And I look forward to, uh, to you checking out more new stuff that we've got, getting your feedback and, uh, and following along with any new, uh, new stuff you've got going, like the, uh, the summit and everything. So yeah, really cool stuff. Cool, man. Uh, you don't have to hang up, but I will say bye and uh, we'll end the recording. So thanks for your time again. Thank you. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. <laughs>